The Frankie Files. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 5 of The Frankie Files. Today we're going to talk about a part of the brain called the amygdala. There's not a lot of articles related to how it is used on cult members, but I found several articles on how it works and they were of special interest because uh, well, I think you'll see the relevance as we go. I'm glad to bring to you a lot of info today. Being in a cult involved being controlled by a totalist leader, but how? When I look back at the tense and ready state the leader would have us in during every service or talking session, I wonder how I'm not even more damaged, maybe mute even, <laughs> learning to articulate the damage in the psychological or medical terms about the brain is a process. But most of you who are adult children of cults or survivors who are in a dangerous high demand group, as adults even, know stuff went wrong in the brain. The manipulative leaders know how to pit our brains against us for the ultimate in knee-jerk predictable reactions. One such part of that is the use of the amygdala parts of the brain to control us. There's a hair's breadth between sensing danger and reaction when the amygdala is involved. And narcissistic leaders know this. Why? That's how they get stuff done. First, they create a perceived threat to get the mind control ball rolling. The threat can vary cult to cult, religion to religion, but it often involves death anxiety and or a perceived psychological threat that we cannot help but react to especially if you do not catch the trap being run on you. Parts of the brain have been developed over thousands of years, generations, and we have the benefit of our ancestors' knowledge of survival in our brain. What's a threat? What could harm us? Triggers the part of the brain that's known as the amygdala. This is the part of the brain used back in cave dwelling days, the part that's how we stayed alive. So a little off topic, a backstory here. I hold a very special place in my Art for self-help books and literature. When I was stuck in the cult way back when, I had a part-time job that I was allowed to have. At this job, I had to order books for the store, and it was much more contact in the outside world that I'd had than a decade. One book I came across that I can't find now is called Gut Reactors. It talked about how some people register stress in their gut. That person was me. When I read the book, I was shocked that for the first time, I had heard someone say aloud what I'd been feeling for several years. The stress of going against my family, my true nature, and going against things I felt were true in my heart was starting to take its toll. The desire to avoid the next verbal beating was registering in my solar plexus, my gut. But the author of this book was speaking so directly to me speaking about things that were never allowed to be discussed in the high-demand group I was in. Just reading those words brought me some relief. The book talks about how to not register your feelings in your gut and not internalize it, how to say what you feel at the time, how to be more true to yourself, to relieve yourself of the anxiety and the conflict in what you're doing versus what you want to do. It truly opened my mind. 
it was one of the cracks in the indoctrination that led to eventually me leaving the cult and rejecting its doctrine. So in bringing you the articles on cults, mind control, and sexual assault in society, I hope to offer inspiration to other ways of thinking that are more scientific, beneficial, and freeing, just generally more healthy stuff. I admire self-help as a genre very much, and that's my next book I'm working on for adult children of cults. A self-help workbook. Almost finished writing that. But back to the topic at hand for today's podcast. How does a dangerous cult or leader take advantage of the amygdala, this knowledge, to trick us into following? Well, if you believe the perceived threat that they put in front of you, you will do just about anything to avoid it. You'll use your threatened part of the brain to tap instincts to stay alive. This again, the cult leader or manipulator knows. The amygdala is the part of the brain that manages this, and I want to cite a few articles about how it plays a part in our PTSD and involuntary reactions that we may not be conscious of. There's so much to cover here, and it's stuff we can use daily to keep our thoughts and actions in line with our desire. Instead of involuntary acting out that we do not want to be slaves to, Let's start with the article at unlearninganxiety.com by Namita. She's the author of The Number One Thing to Do in Anxiety, and it's a free download available at unlearninganxiety.com. She says the amygdala is the tiny almond-shaped structure in the emotional part of the brain. The emotional brain is the oldest part of the brain. It was designed to ensure physical survival. It's quick and hypervigilant. It's an autonomous brain for physical survival. It's called the emotional brain. You no longer need to fight so much for physical survival, but more for social and psychological survival. So you need a slower, more deliberate, personal, rational brain, one that can override your emotional brain's impulse to punch the two-year-old screaming bloody murder on your train commute to work. You need an adult brain that tells you to move over to a different compartment. Nature recently gave you another layer of a brain called the neocortex. Other terms commonly used for it are the rational brain or the higher brain. This is supposed to be the wise brain. Slowing down and pausing instead of acting on emotional impulses. The impulse to yell at the screaming baby is automatic, but deciding not to is more deliberate. It takes longer. You deliberately access your reserve of wisdom. Given the mechanics of its job combined with its relatively new age in human evolution, it takes rationality much longer to kick in than emotions. Knowing this, let's get back to the amygdala. It's deep inside the emotional brain. It's operating unconsciously. It's immediate, instinctive, automatic reactions which happen before your consciousness kicks in. The amygdala reacts to new or threatening objects in the environment. It sends immediate rapid-fire signals to the brain and body to make your body ready to fight or flight the situation. The heart beats faster, muscles tense, blood pressure rises, adrenaline is pumped into the bloodstream, more sweating, lungs also take in more O2, and many more reactions. This is good because how could you run away from the threat of a snake if your body doesn't feel like you'll be dead if you don't do so? So the bodily reactions from a triggered amygdala just show up in your life. Be thankful it exists. 
It can save your life when dangers are real. But why do non-fearful things trigger it? Here I'll read from her list of facts for anxiety sufferers, which she organizes in a table for easy reference. The facts on what triggers an amygdala. Fact one, sensory input. This includes the following input, novelty, such as something out of your zone, familiarity, or comfort, a quick startling response, new co-workers, first day of college in a new town, etc., or input more associated with context than senses, such as having a thought or having conflicts, memory, input from higher brain, the prefrontal cortex, i.e. it's a rope, not a snake. Fact two, the amygdala triggering happens very quickly, less than a fraction of a second. It's part of your emotional brain. You feel fear long before you can understand what your fear is and why you're fearing anything. You cannot control this. Fact three, the amygdala switches off its alarm when it believes that there's safety. Symptoms reverse to normal once off. Heart rate, breathing, etc. Resume to normal. Fact four, 20% of society has more sensitive amygdalas. Fact five, those with a more sensitive amygdala are more likely to be triggered. Fact six, you may have had a sensitive amygdala from birth, but consider the next point. Fact seven, in Jerome Kagan's study, only 55% of those born with a sensitive amygdala, high reactives, did not show signs of anxiety. Fact eight, the amygdala can be trained. The way to do that is to learn to use your prefrontal cortex to support recovery, not anxiety. The real reason for anxiety is suffering with fear and fear symptoms from stimulus that aren't real threats. Even if you know that, what are the triggers? Thoughts and memories you don't like. Thoughts and memories trigger your amygdala, so you're stuck with bodily sensations you don't like. Anxiety symptoms. The Frankie Files. Hey everybody, check it out. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to start a podcast. It has all the tools in one place that you need right from your phone or computer to edit and publish your podcast. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listing platforms such as Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started now. I'm using it right along with you. The real reason you have anxiety is you have a more sensitive amygdala. Your rational brain is not able to switch off the false alarms raised by the amygdala that's been triggered by those thoughts and memories. The prefrontal cortex is part of the higher brain that is supposed to be the rational one. It's not just about thinking wisely, it's about behaving wisely. Every person has the means to resolve his inner psychological life by himself. What is the only thing he can rely on? his own mind. Anxiety indicates usually that our own wise mind is not working very well. Our rationality itself is distorted. In psychology, it's called cognitive distortion. One of the comments I thought about reading this 
is that those of us who were in a cult, especially adult children of cults, were bothered with falsities all the time due to the extremism of the leaders. The death anxiety they installed upon us, the endless fear-mongering, takes a toll, making us feel danger all the time. I believe we have an extra anxiety challenge due to an actual conspiracy being run on us, and we have to work hard to call upon the prefrontal cortex, part of the brain that employs higher reasoning to be functional without fear. They basically made life harder for us with no regard for what we'd be dealing with. Yeah, thanks for that, huh? Notice that there's hardly any research about this directed to cult survivors, but I feel it plays a huge part in adapting to society. And if someone knows you're an ex-cult member, say the cult you left, they would know just how to bother you in public to upset you. It's becoming more clear that ex-cult members are stalked all the time. Look into that. Back to Namita's article from unlearninganxiety.com. Common distortions for an anxious person include thought suppression, magical thinking, mind reading, perfectionism, black and white thinking, should thinking, foreclosure, and emotional reasoning. Those are distortions and usually behavior follows thinking, so the actions we end up taking externally are also distorted. Watching your powerlessness over triggers makes you fear them more. What you rationally think and choose is how your amygdala is getting trained. In anxiety, we end up selecting distortions, both cognitively and behaviorally, which train our amygdala to raise louder alarms. Louder alarms need more help, more distortions, and the spiral is downward. If you follow these distorted patterns for too long in your life, from too early in life, in too many areas of life, hello, ex-cult members, uh, the stress response is perpetually active in your body. Soon enough, these labels you accept of yourself are worrier, neurotic, hyper, type A, crazy. This becomes your conditioning. Just like the amygdala is unconscious, cognitive distortions too are picked up unconsciously, usually in childhood. Again, a comment that this problem seems extremely likely in adult children of cults because our amygdala was being told we were in danger all the time as the norm. But here we go on to the solution. Rationality too is developed. It's developed in your formative years based on what you see and how you're getting trained to see the world, including yourself. Another comment, adult children of cults, we have to take this real estate back from our previous captors. It's a hostile retaking of our brain, behavior, and fear triggers to get them to stand down, especially in groups or intimate relationships. Retraining the amygdala. The amygdala wants you to prove that you're not scared by behaving without fear. Until then, the amygdala says, my alarm bells are ringing. The amygdala is trying to protect you, but it is trainable and moldable. Show lack of fear behavior and it backs off. Sometimes let the storm of fear and dread pass while you continue to watch your TV show, unfazed. Produce positive memories of yourself dealing with triggers. Learn to behave in a way that shows the amygdala that this conditioning stimulus is not a threat to you. Behavior is guided by thinking. This works, guys. I've done a lot of this in my adult life. You do have to breathe through it sometimes. But just remembering it'll pass really helps. 
Okay, back to Namita. The amygdala does both sensitize and desensitize, she says. We can change our brain's wiring at any age. Never tell yourself that anxiety is lifelong. Then she gives the free book download at the end of the article called The Number One Thing to Do in Anxiety. I like a lot of what she said. It's to repeat, unlearninganxiety.com, and her name is Namita. I liked seeing her break down the parts of the brain that make us feel fear and how automatic they are. It's clear to me that cult leaders and manipulators use the brain against us to hold us hostage in fear. The good news is that we can retrain our brains to message them that there is no reason for fear and to stand down. There's so little out there on what happened to the brain in a cult and how to deal with it after. And I notice she never mentions PTSD in this article, but is clearly a part of what is happening. We're triggered by emotions which are not happening right now. While the brain is thinking, they'll repeat. They will not repeat unless we let the memory fool us into believing that. It's a lot of good info from Namita. Adult children of cults or PTSD sufferers probably know exactly what this is all about, don't you guys? Cult leaders play with our survival instinct, creating the death anxiety and the gloom and doom preaching. They know how to trigger the amygdala very well. And I see it happening in politics arena and propaganda too in USA. Next, I want to bring forth some good material from exploringyourmind.com. The amygdala is a subcortical structure in the inner part of the medial and temporal lobe. Along with the hippocampus and the hypothalamus and the orbital frontal cortex, they form the part of the emotional brain or the limbic system. Let's talk about another related term in the arena called amygdala hijacking. Have you ever felt that it was certain emotion which controlled your brain, not you? That means you've been hijacked at some point by your amygdala. The term was coined by psychologist David Goleman in order to explain a type of uncontrolled emotional reaction. Goleman is an expert in emotional intelligence and wrote the book of the same name, which is a great book I had read back in the 90s too. He said that the irrational behavior has to do with a mandatory and immediate lack of emotional control. It occurs when the amygdala takes over our brain he states that intense negative emotions absorb all of the individual's attention and serve as an obstacle to any attempt to attend to other things. The other term is fight or flight, which some of you may already be familiar with. More on this at randyclarkleadership.com. Stress of any kind, even psychological, can trigger an amygdala hijack. It should be no surprise that with the stress and pressure we've all shared in the first half of 2020, our amygdala is in the driver's seat. Side note, it looks like amygdala is the plural of amygdala. Good to know. Managing our fight or flight is imperative. The solution he gives are take a walk, take deep breaths, count to 10 or even 100, whatever it takes to bring common reason back to your brain. Let me interject. I've been talking with friends about how crazy all the fights and unexpected behavior is on airplanes during the pandemic. I kept saying, wow, they're all acting out in the same way. Is COVID affecting people's brains? Perhaps this is the answer. The sense of panic and emergency has our amygdalas working overtime so hard that people are literally not in their right mind. 
They're triggered and in a confined space, do not know about amygdala hijacking and go into a fight or flight mode at thousands of feet. They're having to be disabled by fellow travelers and flights have to go back. It's so extreme. Amygdala hijacking seems to be happening in these incidents, but if you didn't know about that, you might think they became angry zombies all of a sudden. The fact is that something was the last straw, and I bet they can't even explain their own actions. To continue with RandyClarkLeadership.com, he says, if you choose to react immediately, you will recycle the hijack. It can last about 90 seconds when allowed to dissipate and not react to it. He credits a book by Dr. Jill Bolt Taylor called My Stroke of Insight. She taught him to tell his brain, thanks but no thanks. The Frankie Files. I'm going to interject also some material from the Harvard Business Review, where I bookmarked an article by Diane Hamilton. It reads, we actually have two amygdala, one on each side of the brain behind the optical nerves. It's like the smoke detector and prepares our body in an emergency. The amygdala alarm or fight or flight syndrome releases stress hormones in the body like adrenaline and cortisol. Today, the term triggered is referring to this. Increased heart rate, sweaty palms, shallow breath, rapid breathing prepares us to bolt if we have to. Stress hormones can cause quivering in the solar plexus, limbs, and our voice. You may be hot or flush in the face. The throat contracts, the jaw and the neck tighten. This is a prehistoric psychological response, and it's not necessarily pleasant. The amygdala shuts down the neural pathway to our prefrontal cortex, so we can become disoriented in a heated conversation. Complex decision-making disappears, and so does our access to multiple perspectives. Wow, I've experienced that. It's a strange state. As our attention narrows, we become trapped in the one perspective that makes us feel safe. I'm right, you're wrong, even though we ordinarily see more perspectives. The memory becomes untrustworthy. It is compromised. Amygdala is saying danger, react, danger, protect, danger, attack. We can't choose during the amygdala hijack how we want to react because the old perspective mechanism in the nervous system does it for us. Even before we glimpse, there could be a choice. Practicing mindfulness in the middle of the conflict demands a willingness to stay present. Use breath to maintain presence with the body. It takes practice. Some further pointers he lays out are, one, stay present. Two, let go of the story, the trigger. Three, focus on the body, all the sensations you're feeling. Four, Breathe with rhythm and smoothness. So everything I've covered can apply to people who have not necessarily been in a damaging church or cult. The amygdala controls responses to things in life, but it also plays a primary role in processing memory. Storage of memories associated with emotions and decision-making. It's not, however, the long-term storage part of the memory in the brain. It acts as an area of processing within the brain and how one reacts to pain. Other emotional memories. This brain blog I found completely opposes the view. Got to listen to science and not just psychology. Neuroscienceschool.com states a recent meta-analysis combining 220 studies and over 22,000 test subjects found that only 25% of fear experience studies 
and 40% of fear perception studies showed amygdala activation. But the amygdala also showed a consistent increase during studies of anger, disgust, sadness, and happiness, meaning that the function it was performing were not limited to fear, but were more universal. This meta-analysis found that no brain region contained the fingerprint for any single emotion. This means that there's no such thing as an amygdala hijack. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh, they totally debunk amygdala hijack. Hmm. Okay, here we go. We construct our emotions on the spot, it says. Under the new theory of constructed emotion, we construct our experience and perception of emotion from the bodily sensations our brain receives using our internal model of the world constructed from past experience that is organized into categories or concepts. The brain uses these concepts to categorize sensations, so we give them meaning. As humans, we categorize everything to help us make sense of the world. And these categories or concepts influence our behavior. We construct our emotions from past experience. Because our internal model of the world, our concepts and categories, is constructed from our past experience, emotion concepts are specific to the individual and to the culture. Emotion concepts are passed down from parent to child, from one generation to the next. This means that emotions are not universal, but rather culturally and individually specific and very widely from culture to culture. The key to emotional intelligence, then, is to make sure you have a rich set of emotion concepts. Some of the things you can do are learn new emotion words and concepts and refine existing ones. This will make your internal model of the world more precise. Engage in new experiences. New experiences such as new foods, new activities, travel, book, etc. Provoke the brain to combine concepts to form new ones. I did a lot of that when I got out of the cold. I even went to Europe. Learn new words because words seed your concepts. Keep track of positive experiences each day to tweak your conceptual system. Don't ruminate. Rumination creates patterns of negative arousal activity that gets easier and easier for your brain to recreate. Even if you have a rich set of emotional concepts, sometimes you need to master your emotions in the moment. For example, moving your body can change your experience and help bring about other less bothersome concepts. So move, change your location or situation. Emotions are context specific, so changing your context can alter your emotions. Recategorize or reframe. Anytime you feel miserable, it's because you're experiencing unpleasant effect. So recategorize suffering to discomfort, for example. Discomfort is physical, suffering is personal. Wow, so learning new words, helps us reframe our existing emotions. Clearly learning and mind-expanding activities help make us able to access the prefrontal cortex. That's pretty thought-provoking. As you can see, some think, especially on the psychology side, that amygdala hijacking is a given. And then on the brain side, they feel that it is not a given. I would say that I'd like to take a little from both worlds. Thanks for learning with me on the Frankie Files podcast. I look forward to exploring more with you. 
You can contribute at frankietees.com. Just go to the podcast page and see where you can contribute. Send a message via text, phone, or email to me, and I will read it on the air. Until next time, The Frankie Files.